Well, thank you, chapel team. I also just want to thank them publicly. This is a very challenging week to have chapel service because we have uh, Handel's Messiah performance uh, on Friday and Saturday and Sunday. I think I think it's for three days, and so that really prohibits rehearsal time and things of that nature, so they've been very flexible. We also have to reschedule the baptism service uh, we had planned for Friday in chapel because of the Messiah. There'll be a lot more things on stage, not only the harpsichord, but other things. So we're going to be doing the baptism service will be moved to the first week of the spring semester. And uh, United Night of Worship is scheduled to be here that week. And I've already communicated with Zenzo Matoga. And so they're going to center their visit around in that time of worship around the baptisms of uh, right now four students. And if you'd like to be part of that service, just let us know. It should be a wonderful, a wonderful time of worship together. It sounds awful to say we have to cancel the baptism because of the Messiah. Doesn't it's, uh, it's theological theological issue there. But anyway, uh, it's good to have Dr. Roberto Miranda with us. He is pastor of one of Boston's largest congregations, uh, Congregation Lion of Judah, which is known for its diverse congregation and service ministries to minority youth and Latino immigrants. In 1999, the church founded Leon de Judah Higher Education Resource Center. I apologize, Dr. Miranda, for butchering that. Higher Education Resource Center, which serves thousands of Latino and African-American youth in their efforts to enhance their academic performance and entrance into college. Dr. Miranda graduated from Princeton with a degree in public and international affairs, later completing a doctorate from Harvard in Spanish-American literature. He is a well-known religious leader and preacher, having preached across Europe and Latin America. And our good friend, Dr. Gabriel Saguero, is the one who recommended Dr. Miranda when I said, who should I get from the area? And, and you were the first one he mentioned uh, when I spoke to him a couple years ago, so it's good to finally have you here speaking to us. He has two daughters. He's been, he's been married uh, for, uh, for I don't have how many years, but I'm sure... 31 years, two daughters, Sonia and Abigail, and what he really wants you to know is that he has a four-year-old grandson named Caleb. So will you please welcome Dr. Roberto Miranda. Well, good morning, everyone. I am so delighted to be here this morning and to have been invited to share the word with you. Um, as I asked uh, uh, the staff here, what would be a good topic to discuss with you and uh, hopefully to make a, some sort of impact on your lives and your spiritual life and so on and so forth, they, they told me that you have been speaking and reflecting over the year on the issue of uh, unity. And I understand that there's this uh, title of one, which has been kind of very present in your minds and in your reflections over the course of the year. And, um, you know, I, I felt that that was a wonderful topic for me to kind of engage in, simply because I identify so much with that issue of uh, unity, and uh, particularly because I pastor a congregation that is extremely uh, diverse. We're in the heart of Boston. Um, uh, Our church is mainly Latino, has been so for a very long time, and I say that because lately we have also entered into an English ministry that is uh, growing uh, beautifully, but just in its Latino Composition: We have over 30 nations. All of Latin America is uh, represented in our church. And um, we have people from all kinds of backgrounds, uh, denominational backgrounds of all sorts. We have really radical Pentecostals and uh, much more sedate, fundamental evangelicals. And uh, somehow we've been able to live together harmoniously and to love each other and uh, grow together for the past uh, 30 years. And um, we have people from every socioeconomic background you could imagine, undocumented um, people, uh, people who don't know how to read or write, uh, individuals who are highly educated with PhDs and uh, 
theologians and so on and so forth. It's been a huge privilege for me to pastor that kind of congregation uh, over the years and to somehow find that common ground that allows us to uh, grow together, love each other, appreciate the diversity of each other. Many people don't know, for example, we speak of Latin America, and we say uh, as if it were some sort of monolithic continent. Actually, Latin America is hugely uh, diverse, and uh, let's say the differences between a Central American from uh, Guatemala, let's say, and an Argentinian are as huge as uh, between uh, a Russian and a Brooklyn uh, North American, for example. It's an incredibly diverse uh, culture with many nuances and many differentiations. And um, now with this English ministry, we have people from Europe, uh, Haitians, uh, Africans, uh, West Indians, a wonderful melange of uh, God's uh, body. And we have, had to, we have had to learn as a church, even not just to deal with the uh, theological and cultural challenges that, and opportunities that that poses, but also um, even mechanical things such as uh, language, so that we have our first service at 9 a.m. on Sundays is uh, very bilingual. So we've had to learn how to put together a uh, worship service that is both uh, bilingual and fluid and allows for our Pentecostal kind of uh, uh, passion for uh, spontaneity and so on and so forth, and how to, how to mix those things and put them together in a way that is not you know, just boxy. And, and uh, fragmented. And uh, it's been a wonderful challenge, a wonderful uh, experiment for us to learn how to do ministry in that kind of context. And also to learn as a Latino community that we have been uh, mainly how to minister to the greater community. So, where we are in the Roxbury South End area, extremely diverse, extremely secular, extremely uh, intellectual and highly developed. We went from being, uh, when we moved in, into the South End, being a, a, a very... Uh, uh, crime-ridden, uh, fallen-down kind of uh, neighborhood where we are, to becoming one of the hottest, uh, most chic, most sought-after, expensive neighborhoods in the city, South End, um, Roxbury. And with that process has come gentrification and the huge influx of um, secularly-minded um, individuals. We have one of the, I guess, one of the most powerful in the uh, entire United States, one of the most powerful, most influential gay communities, for example, uh, in America, right there. And so we're sort of stuck right in the middle of an extremely diverse um, kind of community. So just, just an idea, just to give you a sense of... Uh, um, and so unity, to me, is, uh, is extremely personal, and uh, it's a joy and a privilege to engage in that search for Christian unity in the, in the context of such uh, diversity. Um, just to give you also, and, and I'm, going to, I'm going to kind of uh, give you my unity credentials, so to speak, because I'm going to, the, the, the brunt of my uh, reflection actually may seem like I, I will be speaking against unity. I want to complicate your minds. And in the time that I have, uh, I, I, all I really hope to do is to uh, pose a question for you to explore and uh, complicate your minds about the, the concept of unity. By the way, I'm grateful because I came in thinking that I only had 12 to 15 minutes to speak. And maybe you were happy with 12 to 15 minutes of my speaking to you, but they told me that it's like 30 minutes, which is wonderful. So it gives me a little more time because I was in agony thinking, you know, should I really even enter into this complicated uh, reflection, which I think it is, um, uh, with only a little bit of time that I can't, I don't even have the time to set up uh, the question properly. But, you know, if you, 
if I were to seek for a, a topic, a, you know, a title for my, my reflection, it would be the problem with unity. The problem with uh, unity. So I, I want to challenge us uh, to, even while we pursue unity and appreciate it and heed God's call and the call of the Word to unity um, and uh, respect for diversity and uh, passion for finding the common ground of the Christian faith, I also want to um, sort of uh, steer you toward also seeing that uh, the unity that the Bible speaks about is not this uh, facile uh, kind of um, uh, ethereal, uh, you know, uh, treacherous unity that sometimes I think uh, unity is being mistaken for in our time and in this stage of the Christian church. But it is something that is very robust. It's very problematic. You have to kind of go through a, a zone of complexity and uh, challenge before you can truly aspire to arrive at that unity that the Bible speaks about. So uh, I, I want to just uh, suggest that unity is a very complex thing and uh, that the unity that the Bible speaks about is written with problems as well, challenges and tension. And that, that is the true unity that the Bible speaks about. So, you know, having, having said that, let me just backtrack a little bit more. You know, th- this past uh, seven, ten days have um, strengthened and exemplified uh, this commitment uh, in my life and in my ministry to unity. And let me just give you a little bit of uh, uh, an, an example of uh, what, you know, I've been doing uh, lately. Uh, just last week, I had a wonderful opportunity to have lunch with the um, representative of the Catholic Archdiocese of, uh, the Archdiocese of Boston, uh, the representative for um, ecumenical and interdenominational affairs of the Catholic Church. We had lunch and uh, found so much common ground. And out of that conversation emerged a possible project that we want to undertake of pairing 6 to 12 uh, priests with uh, 6 to 12 pastors, Protestant pastors, over the course of a six-month period to have dialogue with each other and to see what the Lord sort of brings up uh, through that conversation and to meet at the end of the project and see what we have learned from each other. Because we are so aware of the need for Christians in our time to find common ground where Christianity is being so, so, so beset um, uh, by all kinds of other forces that are hostile or at very least uh, skeptical about Christianity. Um, and just yesterday, among other things, I had a, a wonderful conversation with an Orthodox rabbi who came to visit me with two Pentecostal uh, pastors from upstate New York. And we spent three wonderful, passionate, engaging hours talking about our faiths. And uh, I tell you, this rabbi, this Orthodox rabbi is so kosher that uh, he was not content with the kosher meal that we went through a lot of trouble to provide. He brought his own meal in a cooler. Um, and not seeking to be offensive, but that's just how seriously he takes his faith and his kosher um, outlook. And, um, and yet, we were able to find, uh, you know, a lot of points of, uh, in, in, uh, in, in uh, Judaism and in Christianity. And, uh, you know, it is, it is amazing. And yet, even in that uh, conversation, you see a little bit of the problematic nature of it. Uh, as he is uh, very interested in discretion and uh, not almost, it's almost like a secret kind of meeting because he's not sure what his co-religionists may think of this effort. Uh, and yet the point is that we're able to find a lot of things to talk about and to engage in and to see how God is somehow mysteriously moving these two faiths, Judaism and Christianity, which are really, you know, they have the same foundation, of course, uh, together 
And I think God is doing that. And I think as time goes by and uh, humanity uh, progresses and goes more toward the period that God has for it as its end point, I think there will be a call of the Holy Spirit for unity, greater unity uh, among these uh, Judeo-Christian faiths and, and its various uh, streams. And I believe that we need to be working toward that more and more and finding um, you know, those points of contact. Our own church recently, uh, actually last Sunday, we initiated a, an Anglican church plant. I mean, that's weird for us because we're Pentecostals, we're Baptists, we're Latinos, and yet the Lord has uh, put in my heart um, a desire to plant uh, an Anglican congregation right within our, our church. So not only are we kind of uh, making life difficult for ourselves by starting an English ministry with a Latino congregation, but now, not satisfied with that, we're going to make it worse and more problematic by starting an Anglican congregation as well. Um, but I'm, I'm thrilled about it. I'm excited about it. You know, there are people in the congregation, as I found out on Sunday after we presented, I mean, we've been presenting for over several weeks, but, you know, there are people who have problems with the clerical collar. I think for, for some Latino Protestants, to see a person with a clerical collar is like a vampire seeing the cross. It's really very scary and uh, uh, disturbing to them and so on and so forth. So a few ladies came, you know, to speak to me, one with a very prophetic word, pastor, be careful of mixing the faith, on and on and on. So I mean, it's a problematic thing. But here's my point, guys. I believe passionately in unity. But when I look at the Word of God, I think that, uh, it, you know, it, it, unity is defined in, in a way that I don't see sometimes being properly reflected in the dialogue that is going on in the church in our modern times regarding unity. Let me just be a little more uh, specific. I believe that we are in a very perilous time in the life of uh, Christianity here in America where... Um, it seems to me, and not just to me, but uh, a lot of other people, that in our desire to be winsome to a culture that sees us with skepticism, in our sense of uh, uh, isolation with the growing um, rationalism and secularism that we see here in America, uh, with all the mistakes that have been made by the church, with the deep suspicion that there is uh, among uh, many, many secular people about institutional Christianity, uh, in, in the, with the increase of uh, spiritual appetite and desire for spirituality, but at the same time a rejection of institutional faith, I think the church in its psychology is beginning to, or not really beginning, it's just being strengthened in a negative way, in a, in a low self, sense of low self-esteem, a sense of, uh, you know, what we have to offer is not on demand, and therefore, the temptation is to lower the price, to uh, lower the specificity of our faith, uh, to, you know, throw um, doctrinal faithfulness and purity out the window in our desire to be seen as loving and gracious and accepting and open and uh, not being the very opposite, which is being Pharisaic and self-righteous and uh, mean-spirited, as that word is often used to, to refer to, you know, Bible-believing Christians and so on and so forth. And um, uh, I think also, you know, there's a lot of reflection uh, these days on young people. And this is why I thought, you know, should I really get into this topic? I mean, maybe I should just give a nice, uh, bland uh, uh, presentation on unity and have everybody go home happy and, uh, you know, think I'm a great guy. But uh, I really want to make a difference in your lives. And, and so I want to be a bit prophetic in discussing this because I think you guys are, are poised to, have, to take over the helm of this nation. And you are having an increasing influence 
on uh, the, the nature of our society. The last election illustrates that perfectly, where the young really made a huge difference in the results of the election. And that will continue to be so. And so my concern as a pastor is that, um, at, at, at the very least, our Christian young people who profess to believe in Jesus Christ and the doctrine of the, that is established by the Word of God, that you be truly grounded on a, on a Christian outlook and that you be consistent in the way that you uh, live out all the aspects of your life so that your belief in the Word of God and, and your doctrinal beliefs permeate every aspect of the life that you lead, everything that you do, your relationships, your career, uh, the way you uh, distribute your money, the use of your gifts, um, uh, the way you relate to, to uh, the outside world and to the outside culture, the things that you give priority to, uh, the way you see yourself, the way you see eternity and, and uh, time and space, the way you, you see science and, and its claims and, and uh, Christianity and its claims, the way you see your brethren within the church, all of these different things, they have to be permeated by your Christian beliefs. The way you vote, uh, the, the, the moral values that you uh, subscribe to and that guide your life and your behavior. All of these things have to be founded on the teachings of the Word of God. And it's an, ag- an agonizing thing. It, it is, it is a, a painful thing. It is a crucifixion to try to live your life in the light of Christian values in this time where there is this huge temptation for us to say, you know what, doctrine doesn't really matter. What matters is that we be loving, that people come into the church, that they receive Jesus Christ, and then things will take care of themselves. But let's not bring to the fore anything that might alienate people, anything that is so specific that it might create problems with unbelievers and people who are considering the faith. Let's just give, uh, provide kind of a, a, a neutral screen upon which people can project their needs, their desires, uh, their understandings of spirit and of Christ and of God, and let us be that uh, virtual background where human beings can project themselves or their culture, and therefore they will come into Christianity, and then somehow God will solve the rest of the problem. But meanwhile, we won't be too specific on doctrine. We will take out anything that is distinctive out of the names of our churches. We will take out any label that sounds too alienating, too exclusive, too defining, and let's provide this sort of uh, uh, basic uh, foundation, um, you know, just like a model, just a, a kind of generic uh, structure without all the specifics of it. And I think that's a treacherous thing. It's a perilous thing. It's a dangerous thing. It's, it's, an, it's, a, it's an anti-Christian thing. And so that, this is where my passion lies. Because uh, when I consider, I, I understand that... Um, uh, Ephesians chapter 4 has been sort of the foundation for much of your uh, time, uh, or you've taken that, because I think it's a powerful um, text where, where it speaks about, you know, this is Ephesians 4, 2 to 6. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above, who's over all and through all and in all. What a, what a wonderful call to unity. And it's very easy for us to hear that call of the apostle and the spirit of God through him and to kind of, you know, just become passionate for unity and say, you know what? Let's just make sure that there's unity among us. Let's just make sure that the church of Jesus Christ all over the earth is unified and presents a united body 
to uh, unbelievers and to the world out there. And I think the danger is that we, we can enthrone unity and idolatrize or idolize unity to the point that we uh, have unity trumping doctrinal faithfulness and uh, adherence to the Word of God. And I think that that's not what the, what the Bible speaks about. I think if I might just be, you know, impressionistic in what I say to you, I think that when uh, the Bible speaks of unity, it speaks of unity within the doctrine that has been given to the church through apostolic teaching and through the written Word of God. Any other kind of unity outside of that framework of faithfulness and obedience and submission to what the Word of God has declared through the teachings of the apostles, the specific Word of Jesus Christ as it is established in the Gospels, anything outside of that is not a proper foundation for unity. Now, what do I mean? You know, again, you know, what do we mean by unity? I mean, I think there's a kind of unity that we can uh, agree to, which is this unity that we understand that you know, the, the Christian faith has a lot of uh, nuances and various streams that make it up. And we can agree to acknowledge the validity of each other, our love for Christ, our desire to be faithful to Him and to His Word as we understand it. Because I think God is so creative in His uh, being that He has allowed for the Christian faith to evolve over many centuries and many different cultures. But I think there's always this call that we need to maintain the basic biology of the faith, the basic structure of the faith. Now, within that respect to the basic biology of the faith, there may be different colors, different uh, nuances, different uh, details. But the essence of the faith, those teachings that make the faith what it is, and that provide the foundation for the moving of God's Spirit and for the power that the church needs to affect the culture and to evangelize and, and, and to live victorious, powerful lives and powered by the Holy Spirit of God requires a, a strong adherence, submission to, obedience to what the Word of God has declared through the teachings of the apostles and through the Gospels. And, of course, the Old Testament as well, because it's just one big system of interlocking parts that are in mutual relationship to each other and dialogue with each other and that mutually affect and nuance each other. But the unity that the Bible speaks about is a problematic unity. I think it's a robust unity. It is a virile unity, if I might use a sexist term. It's not some sort of effeminate, ethereal kind of, uh, you know, love everybody and accept everything. And don't worry too much about doctrinal purity because God loves everything and God loves everybody and God accepts everything. And as long as you have Jesus Christ, then you're okay. Because salvation is by Jesus Christ. And, you know, it, it's a, it's a very, it's a very um, treacherous path that you follow because salvation indeed is through Jesus Christ. It's not through doctrinal, you know, purity and perfection. We are prone to make mistakes in our interpretation of the Scriptures. But um, I do think that, you know, the Word also shows us uh, that we must, be, we must tread... Uh, that tension between grace and the call to unity and acceptance of each other and love and humility and submission to each other and also obedience and uh, the revelation that has been given clearly to the saints, what the Bible calls that sound doctrine that we must uh, closely adhere to and that we must study uh, with great uh, appeals to the Holy Spirit to illuminate us as we uh, mine and, and, and dig deep into the Word of God with great respect and reverence and a sense of humility of, of what the, the church has uh, uh, seen over 2,000 years of existence, this cumulative knowledge 
this cumulative insight of believers throughout 2,000 years. We are not more privileged in this 21st century, this is the small tip of the Christian journey, than those uh, believers in the first century, second, third, fourth, fifth, the great fathers and mothers of the faith, the great movements of faith. We must uh, look at the entire cumulative revelation, or not revelation, but illumination, because revelation is what is in the Word, of the Holy Spirit to His church. And you must make sure, one of the things I think that protects us against heresy is, you know, become aware, study church history, please. Study some theology. Study the, the, the reflections and the voices of believers, passionate, illuminated, greatly complex believers throughout centuries of the life of the church. St. Augustine and St. Thomas Aquinas and Martin Luther were not less somehow uh, rational and lucid and understanding of the faith than we are in the 21st century. What makes us think that we're better than they? Just because we have more science and better computers and more iPads and so on? No. They were probably closer to the text and to the scriptures and to the kind of uh, context in which the word was given than we are. So we must be respectful of that, um, <clears throat> that flow and, and, and those voices that are continually speaking to each other. And of course, they don't trump the word, what the word has said. It's always this interplay between the word that has been revealed to us, um, the voices of the past of these great men and women who have wrestled with the word. There's, of course, what God speaks to our own lives through our pastors, through our own reflections, the Holy Spirit, uh, the church in the modern, in modern times, and what they're going through. All of these things put together. You kind of put them in a big bag, sift them, and out of that can come a synthesis that is a biblical, God-honoring, and that is safe because it is within the sound uh, framework that God has established. So let me just uh, quickly, you know, because just, uh, and I just have maybe five minutes. So again, as I said, I aspire to just leave you disturbed. If I can do that, if I can destroy your innocence a bit, then I'm, I'm satisfied. There's a lot of stuff that we could go through. But, you know, look at the way, in that same passage, Ephesians chapter 4, where the Apostle Paul, later on, in that same reflection about um, uh, unity and so on, li- listen to what he says. You know, because it says that this unity and, and this revelation that the, word, that the church has received through the Apostles is to equip his people. Now, notice, I, I would like you to isolate. and Go back into your rooms later on and isolate all the words and terms that suggest um, structure, suggest uh, building, architecture, uh, robustness, um, you know, uh, kind of a structural unity as opposed to ethereal, you know, generic kind of unity. Says, to equip his people for what? For works of service. So that the body of Christ may be built up Structure, building, until we all reach unity in the faith. And I think this idea of all reaching, reaching is, you know, we have to go through a process. Unity is not something that, oh, let's all celebrate our unity and kind of hug each other and that's it. No, you know, until we all reach through a process, unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. Mature. Attaining, attaining, another word of, you know, striving and getting to a point, to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Listen to this. It says, verse 14, uh, chapter 4, Ephesians. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves. You know, who, who can, who can uh, evangelize this incredibly complex culture? Mature people, mature believers. Believers who have gone through a process of crucifixion and, and wrestling with Christ and with His Word, His claims, His calling, uh, our own appetites and so on. After you have wrestled with all of that and stayed tethered to the, the revelation of the Word, 
then you're mature enough to disciple, to evangelize. It says, um, uh, so that you're not uh, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love. There's nothing wrong with saying, hey, you know, I don't agree with you. But I love you. I affirm you. And I know that you're sincere. But I'm not in agreement with you. And we can walk together this great uh, zone of Christian faith. But I'm choosing a different path here. And there are points where we will diverge. And God bless you. And I hope that he illuminates you. But I'm going to stand where I believe. So it says, um, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head. That is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament. Listen to these words of, uh, you know, strength and, and grabbing onto things and keeping them united. It grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So you see, in many texts, I suggest that you look these texts of unity up over and over again. There's this idea, be careful. You know, I think, why, why, do, I, why do I take the risk of uh, engaging in this very complex topic uh, and leaving you perhaps, you know, a little bit disturbed, maybe even hostile, who knows? Um, because I think that, uh, again, we are in a very dangerous time uh, in the world and in uh, America, certainly, in the journey of the, of the Christian church. And you guys are in the middle of the maelstrom. Uh, you will be buffeted by teachings and by temptations, doctrinal temptations that my generation and previous generations may not have to deal with, including the first century. Because this culture has been given so much power and critical capacity and rational power, like, unlike any other. And you are in the middle of this, uh, trying to hold on to, a, to an eternal faith. I was going to say first century, but no, it's an eternal faith. It's trans-temporal. And uh, you will need to uh, grab on to the mast of uh, faith and revelation and doctrine. You must be absolutely proactive in your belief. You must find out what you believe. You must wrestle with the Word. You must seek the illumination of the Spirit. You must seek the power of the Spirit. You must be passionate about the revelation of God. You must be willing to be crucified and to die for your faith. You must be willing to drink a little bit of that cup of uh, martyrdom Every day, as you see yourself perhaps not being in full community with uh, people that you appreciate, who you love and whose respect and liking you would absolutely die for. But the word is more important. Doctrinal faithfulness is more important. Communion with the Spirit of Christ. You cannot have communion with the Spirit of Christ um, unless you have communion with His teaching. Because Christ is His teaching. He's not just a, some sort of person. I mean, corporeal being, biological being. He is a corpus of words, teachings, doctrine, spiritual. He's a spiritual entity as well. And so you cannot say, well, I accept Christ. And you don't accept his commandments, his teachings, his ethos, his outlook, his worldview, his morality. These things, that's what Christ is. You cannot separate Christ from what he represents and what he embodies in teaching. They come together inseparably. This is why Jesus says, if you love me, obey my commandments. So again, uh, I, all in all, I just want to urge you to reflect on this idea. Yes, God does call us to unity. We must be more passionate than ever. Uh, where the body of Christ is being so fragmented by all the nuances that our critical powers precisely create. We must find those common grounds and seek to work together. We must be respectful of each other. We must uh, uh, acknowledge each other's legitimacy. 
But at the same time, we must also be aware of what I believe, what I stand, what, what the Holy Spirit has given to me, what I believe the faith says to me. I will not negotiate with the Word. The Word compels me. The Word establishes its authority over me. I do not judge the Word. The Word judges me. And our love for unity and compassion and grace and, and uh, respect for diversity must always take place within that straitjacket of doctrinal faithfulness. So I bless you in the name of Jesus Christ. You are precious. You are absolutely important right now in this stage of the, the, church, the church's uh, journey. And I pray that the Holy Spirit will energize you, strengthen you, root you in His revelation. And allow me to pray just briefly. Father, I, I thank you for this opportunity to address my brothers and sisters. I bless this beautiful body of believers. I thank you for the, the huge gifting that they represent. I declare the, the power, the conviction, the courage of your Holy Spirit, the illumination of your Holy Spirit on their lives, the faculty of this great institution, uh, the, the, the spiritual um, outlook that they possess. And I pray that they will be prospered in everything that they seek to do for your kingdom. May your, work, may your word establish itself deeply within our sensibility right now, Father. May the teaching that has been received, if it is of you, and to the degree that it is of you, may it be rooted deeply in their hearts, in our hearts, in our spirits, and continue to reverberate every day of our lives. And we do say, Jesus Christ, we submit to you and to your word. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you guys. Thank you. Dr. Miranda will be available to speak to, to you. If you'd like to have a conversation with him, go in peace. You are dismissed. Have a wonderful week.